You got the call. Welcome to the big leagues, kid. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to The Call-Up, presented by Triple Play Fantasy. We're back after a week off, had some scheduling conflicts, but we are here, and with a week of rest, we are ready to go, give you guys some amazing prospect knowledge and a ton of great players to get to tonight. But first, we've got our two co-hosts and a special guest joining us. Mike, how are you doing? It's going good, Mendy. Glad to be here with you guys, as always. You know, we took the week off, like you said. We we had a lot to catch up on. Another fantastic guest today as well. Really smart prospect mind. Very tough competitor in fantasy. He's actually beaten me again this year. So I'm happy to have him here uh, on the show. Before we get started with the guest, how's it going, Vinny? Muting himself. Rookie mistake. Oh, I did it again. No, <laughs> very good week. You know, action-packed college baseball, college World Series, plus watching Corbin Carroll run away with the NL Rookie of the Year. I don't, I don't think I can ask for any more. Does he have a shot at MVP, Vinny? You know what? I I would say yes. He's like right on Acuna heels. So, like, yes, I would say yes. Yeah, Corbin Carroll is exciting, but so is our guest tonight. Uh, we're welcoming in somebody that you guys, if you follow any type of dynasty prospect stuff, anything on the Twitter sphere, you know who this man is. Actually, I'm going to say he's also the one of the former hosts of the Five Tool Fantasy podcast. Just a throwback for him. Uh, that back when uh, him and Air Cross, and they put they did an amazing uh, podcast with that. But right now, he's doing other amazing stuff as well as he's writing for Baseball Prospectus. Anybody that knows prospects knows Baseball Prospectus is one of the top of the top places that you can talk about prospects. He writes and he podcasts there. Uh, he also does his daily top prospects, and his dynasty rankings have been recently updated. Uh, enough leading in. You know this man. One of the best prospect minds in the business. It is Jesse Roche. How's it going, man? It's great. Great to be on. Uh, I honestly, being comped to Corbin Carroll, I don't think I'm going to get any kind of compliment <laughs> that's better than that. Uh, but yeah, I write for Baseball Perspectives. I recently did update the top 500 dynasty prospects and the top 500 dynasty rankings over at the site. And you know, like Vinny said, I've been deep in college right now. I'm prepping for the upcoming major league draft, uh, prepping how that's going to impact rankings. It's, it most certainly will uh, in a big way. And I mean, tonight, right as we're recording, we have the pitching matchup of the season with Paul Skeens and Rhett Lauder, and my in-laws are at the game. <laughs> so uh, my phone's been blowing up. I haven't muted uh, because of the, of the pod, of course, but that is a an amazing matchup, uh, and I'm a. I will go back and watch replays. <laughs> I, I appreciate the commitment to, to be on the pod when that's going on. Uh, now I got to ask, because we are talking about college, is there a certain point in the scouting process of these prospects that you prefer? Do you like watching them when they're in college before they're drafted? Do you like when they're in like low A and kind of learning about them at that point? Are you like towards the end when they're kind of nearing their promotion? Is there what point do you like to observe the prospects the most? 
I mean, at all points, I think it's very important, especially, you know, if you're in first year player drafts, you need mm -hmm. to get a leg up on your competition and kind of know and get to know the college uh, scene. And there's a lot more data available these days. A lot of it's very, most of it's private, but if you know where to source it, you can source a lot of great college data. And I know Baseball America does great work on the draft and among many other different sources that a lot of which are, is public. So, uh, that's, I love starting with the draft. Of course, I love the minor leagues and we do have public, public data for some leagues in the minor leagues. And, you know, there is a lot of great data in general and I source a ton and, uh, honestly, every step of the way is, is awesome. And, uh, I've, you know, when, when the prospects on the cusp, that is very important, you know, for fantasy, even if it's a prospect that is, you know, maybe not as well known, maybe a player who's only for deep leagues for the most part. I think it's still relevant because these players can pop and have relevance in all formats. And that leads in perfectly to the show, because as we talk about every week, we talk about players nearing the promotion. We talk about players down in single A or even lower. You know, we talk about sometimes college prospects in the off season. So we kind of touch on a little bit of everything, like you mentioned, which is very important. And uh, without further ado, why don't we talk about in our first category, which we do every single week here, going to our players of the week, players we feel that deserve a shout out, mention for what they're doing down in the minor leagues. And kicking things off here with Dominic Canzone of the Arizona Diamondbacks. They just keep all this talent that just keeps shooting up to this major league roster. And in AAA right now, a 347 average, 428 OBP, 653 slug in 257 plate appearances with 15 bombs to boot. Uh, uh, walk and K percentage aligned 50-50 right there. Uh, Jesse, talk to us about Dominic and uh, Canzone and just – what could his upside be and, and just how he's been doing so many great things down in AAA? Well, I mean, he really can hit. Uh, you know, this is a player who has hit in the upper minors for now two straight years. He kind of really took off in 2021 when in AA uh, late in the season, and he carried over to the Arizona Fall League where he had an amazing run there. Uh, last year, he torched AA, and then he kind of hit some hiccups in AAA, rebound in the second half. And he's done a great job adjusting as he's come through the minor leagues. He is on the cusp. Uh, he was unprotected in the Rule 5 draft. You often see players like this unprotected because he is very much defensively limited to a corner. And he does not carry much defensive value. And the that is the concern. That's a big concern I have with Canzone from a fantasy perspective is, is he going to be able to hit enough to carve out a meaningful major league role? And I mean, he also, you know, it's a left-handed hitter. He also has extreme platoon splits, extreme. Uh, in, when I'm saying extreme, I'm saying over 500 point difference in OPS versus righties and versus lefties. Uh, so I think when and if he does make the majors as soon as this year, I think he's going to be strictly a platoon bat. But still, I think that could really be helpful for you for fantasy purposes because it'll allow everything to play up for him because there is plus power here that he doesn't necessarily get to a ton in games, but mm -hmm. his average exit velocity in AAA is 90.2 miles an hour. His hard hit rates, 45.7%. Uh, he's barreling a lot of balls and he's making a lot of contact. As you've mentioned, the 13.2% K rate to wall and walk rate this year is contact rate rate percentage this year is 81.4%, which is fantastic. Uh, so there is a lot to like here, especially against right-hand pitching. I think that he could be an above-average hit and power bat against righties. But again, the def defense is a real concern, and the 
Arizona outfield, as it currently stands, is very lefty heavy. I mean, it's Alec mm-hmm. Thomas, Corbin Carroll, aforementioned, and the resurgent Jake McCarthy. I mean, is Canzone, does he have a place? And, you know, Lourdes Gurriel, you know, he's out there mm-hmm. too, mostly playing DH these days. But, you know, there is there a place for him in that lineup? I think he's a player that have on your watch list, uh, even in, so, you know, 16-team formats and above, I think. In 12-teamers, I probably would hold off until he gets the call, and then maybe you stash and see what happens. Well, you did mention their outfield right now with Alec Thomas, with Jake McCarthy, of course, Corbin Carroll, and Gurriel can play it. Uh, but Alec Thomas has shown that he's been very inconsistent. And I, I know he was one for 20 against lefties when he was demoted recently. Uh, he still struggles against left-handed pitching, uh, very miserable against it. Uh, is that his easiest path to the big leagues is if Alec Thomas continues to struggle, they just kind of swap them for each other? I don't think so because Alec Thomas is a true center fielder. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't really think it's a like for like. I think if anything, it's if McCarthy struggles, okay. uh, which I think is very possible because McCarthy, he, for fantasy, is a player that we love because he can run. There's even a little bit of pop. But in real life, those stolen bases don't matter that much. So this is a, you know, a low power hitter with low on base ability, you know, th- and not necessarily elite defense to kind of carry the profile. So I think McCarthy is definitely still at risk, even though he has resurged. He has rebounded a bit since he's returned. So I think if if there's anybody that he will be replacing like for like, it will be McCarthy. All right. That's good to know. Uh, definitely somebody that we could be seeing very soon. Vinny, let's talk about your first player here. Um, if I can pull him up here. Is it Mr. Santana? Or is it Blaze Jordan? I, <laughs> think, Jordan. I think we touched with Vinny's guys. Oh, we're talking about Blaze Jordan. Blaze Jordan even better, because I know Blaze Jordan. High A ball right now for those Boston Red Sox. 23 plate appearances over the last week. 391, 444, 870 slash line, three home runs. He's only 20 years old, but... He's been mentioned on this show a good amount, and rightfully so. He's one of the best prospects, best young prospects in baseball, one of Boston's obviously best prospects here. Uh, the K rate, very manageable, 14.2% on the season. And even though he's in high A ball, he's somebody that's still been torching uh, minor league pitching. Yeah, Blaze Jordan has always been a big name in the baseball prospect spectrum. Like Even going back to 2019 before the draft, he was like the high school guy. You know, he was even viral at 13 years old, you know, hitting the big home runs at uh, old uh, Texas, the old Ranger Stadium. But, you know, I think we went through, we're going through a phase right now where Blaze Jordan's kind of getting that prospect fatigue. But the numbers and everything he's doing right now is showing that I think we're starting to see him blossom into a true, almost borderline big prospect for the Red Sox. Like we're looking, his strikes, uh, his strike percentage is down. His walk percentage is up. He's barreling up baseballs more. We always knew he had power, so that's not really of a shocker. But the the aspect of him actually making consistent hard contact, like that was a big question with him coming out of the draft. Was you know the power's there, but is the bat going to translate? And now we're starting to see it all come together. I don't expect him to stay at high A much longer. I I would say after maybe the all-star break, we're going to see him get promoted to double A. But like right now, I don't think many people are, you know, keeping too many tabs on Blaze Jordan, especially in a dynasty format. I would be trying very hard to go and get him. You know, my only question with him is, you know, defensively, where does he end up? Like he is 
probably going to be a first baseman, but with Tristan Casas, I don't know if he actually is a first baseman. Like the arm's solid enough. You know, his, his arm at best is average. So I don't know if he could maybe be serviceable at third base or maybe they, you know, start running him out at, you know, right field or something. But the bat is his carrying tool. And it's already, it's looking like, you know, improvement, improvement, improvement every level so far. And if this continues, we could potentially start talking about Blaze Jordan as a potential maybe end of the year top 100 prospect. Like he's a guy that I'm very focused on. I remember being very bullish on him this time last year. And now looking and diving back into him, I'm, I'm really back in on Blaze Jordan. Yeah, I think you mentioned the defensive limitations. I think will definitely be something we'll have to keep an eye on, but no denying the bat. A couple of comparisons I was just reading, Mark Trumbo, Matt Holiday, players that were good bat-first players that didn't necessarily play great defense. But if you yeah. can hit, teams will find your way to get your bat in the lineup. Yeah. Like um, I, Back when he was at the Under Armour All-American game, like he was in a, a BP class of Dylan Cruz, big, you know, the big guy this year in this draft, Zach Veen. You know, and he just, even Austin Hendrick, like the balls he was hitting were just absolutely destroyed and just mind-boggling the power he possessed. He's very much the definition of a better in fantasy than real-life player. He's never going to rank high on real-life lists, likely. I mean, I imagine he's going to get fours and 45 grades. I don't know if he'll ever get to like a a pure five until he's like mashing in AAA. Then maybe. But, you know, I do think that you're right. There is a lot to like. He is on fire. Uh, not even just this last week. He's been on fire for like the last month. Yeah. And uh, I do think that he could push to being top 100 in fantasy, even with those the high risk that is involved with his profile, especially if he goes to double A in Portland and just continues to hit. If he hits in the Eastern League, I mean, it's going to yeah. be hard to keep him out of the top 100 for fantasy. Can you imagine all the highlights that Air Cross will put up on Twitter if he goes to Portland? They'll look I up. Can see it now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about our next player here from blaze Jordan to Tyler black of the Milwaukee Brewers second and third base right now, 22 years of age in double a on the season, 247 plate appearances with a 267 average nine home runs. But the number that will stand out to you, 39 stolen bases for him with a very manageable 21.5% K rate and nearly 20% walk rate here, Mike, uh, 39 stolen bases that will play also nine home runs. So, this is a guy that definitely looks like he could hit 20 plus home runs and obviously steal a ton of bags. Tyler black. Talk to us about him. Yeah. So this is a young man we talked about on the show very early this year, maybe week one or two. And over the last 10 days, he's got eight steals, a couple homers, OPS North of 1200. So feels like a good time to revisit him. According to fan graphs, black is listed with a plus hit tool fringe average power with plus speed. So anytime you have a prospect with, a plus hit tool and plus speed, like you you have my interest. As I've said on numerous occasions, power is the e- easiest tool for teams to develop. So outside of being a monster in all facets of the game, this is the type of profile I kind of gravitate towards. He's really impressed me with his ability to steal bags at a high clip, 39 for 43 on the season. When I mentioned him early this year, I came to the conclusion his speed might be a tad overrated and he'd end up with above average speed, but he surpassed some expectations. You know, the, the one thing I should mention, I did a little filtering on fan graphs before the show, and I wanted to see how many prospects in the minors currently have 30 steals with an ISO above 200. And there were only two players across all levels, our boy Jonathan Clossé of the Mariners and Tyler Black. So 
I think Black is a better prospect than I anticipated. His hit tool ability to take walks, steal bases at a higher percentage with decent pop, you know, is this is a prospect managers in Roto leagues particularly should be interested in, like even more so in OBP leagues with that nearly 20% walk rate. Uh, the fact he plays a relatively weak position, plays his home games in a hitter's park, he'll likely hit near the top of the lineup should only give us more confidence. Essentially, I thought we were looking at like a Colton Long type of player when the season began. And while he has a similar stature, he's not a big guy. I think his skill set's more potent. And Black's looking like one of the better stolen base threats in the minors to me with, with a legitimate chance to hit enough to be a regular. So I think people should add him in all leagues. And I'd even target him in trades if his current owner is in love already. I think Black is going to make a really nice like one-two punch atop the lineup with Sal Freelick as, as soon as like late this season, but certainly by early 2024. Yeah, the impact with Black has actually ticked up a little this year. So I think those Fangraphs grades may be a little dated. I think that the power can get to fringe average. Um, and I think that's where it is right now, which, you know, I think he gets to 15 homers. I don't think 20 homers likely, but you never know. I mean, it, it happens. These players can occasionally get there. Uh, but the speed is obviously really important. What I think is most notable, though, is He's been playing all year in the Southern League, which they have the pre-tacked balls. So this has been a very difficult hitting environment. What he's doing in the Southern League is just incredibly impressive. Uh, the the hit tool is very real. I mean, he's only hitting 267, but it's because he's so patient. You know, this is a player who's been walking a ton all year long. I do think there is more swing and miss than maybe the numbers suggest, you know, it's a 21.5% K rate, which is doesn't, isn't like terrible at all. Um, especially given how many, how, how often he works deep counts, but there is some underlying swing and miss. It's not huge, but there's, it's there. So I do think he gets to plus above average or plus hit tool fringe average power. And I mean, if he can get you 20 plus stolen bases, that's a very real player, especially at third base. You're not seeing this type of speed at third base. I mean, we all hope this, he could be what we all hoped Cabrian Hayes would be. Mm-hmm. And him, like you mentioned, Mike, him and Sal Freelick at the top of the Brewers lineup, two guys have some speed. Obviously, Sal Freelick hits for average, does not strike out. Um, and then, you know, good table setters for what could be a, a really good Brewers lineup coming down the road here. Uh, so very excited to see Tyler Black and potentially his debut could be sometime this season, like you mentioned. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Let's talk about a Dodgers pitcher who I'm going to try to say his last name correctly. And Jesse will correct me if I'm wrong. Justin Robleski. Thumbs up. Good. Yes, All right. Justin, <laughs> my uh, English teacher will be proud of me. Justin Robleski, a lefty for the Los Angeles Dodgers, 22 years of age and high a ball, 57 innings on the season, 62 strikeouts to go with that. And a two, eight, four ERA and one eighteen whip. Very good numbers to look at here. Obviously high a ball. So he's a little bit away from helping out the major league club, but Jesse, man, I just feel like these Dodgers pitchers, it's just one after the other after the other. Just so many guys just been eye-popping numbers in the minor leagues and move their make their way through and then helping out the big league club here. But definitely um, Justin Robleski is a name I have not seen until today. So please educate me and our audience that maybe hasn't heard of him about just who he is. Sure. Well, first of all, he's been on quite a heater lately. Over his last four starts, he's only allowed one earned run over 20 innings, 23 strikeouts, and just four walks. And it kind of just shows what he is. You know, this is a lefty arm with solid command. He's a player that I think a lot of people maybe started hearing about this spring because I know Eric Loggenhagen kind of drew attention to him uh, as a player who had increased velocity. I know that Baseball America also 
uh, pumped him. This is a player, he was drafted in the 11th round. He was he was given a nice little signing bonus, and he had had Tommy John surgery, so he hadn't really uh, made a meaningful debut until late last year. Uh, but I think we're seeing a lot of the returns for the from the Dodgers development team. It's one of the best in the league in the in all of baseball, and they do a fantastic job of developing pitching in particular. And Robleski has very real stuff. I think personally, I think he's probably the best lefty in the organization. This is an organization with Maddox, Maddox Bruns and uh, Ronan Cope. And those are two very good young arms in that rotation, in that organization. But I really like Robleski. Uh, I'll just touch on his stuff really fast. I mean, he's very well built athletic lefty arm. Um, and he sits, his fastball sits around 94 miles an hour. It's a four seam fastball. It has solid carry as well and decent shape, nine inches of horizontal break, 11, 17 inches of induced vertical break, which both are fairly, fairly solid. And he has good command of the pitch. I think the fastball probably profiles as at least above average. It potentially gets there. Uh, I think that there's a chance, you know, he gets as high as up to 97. And I think there's a chance he could sit a bit higher, like 95. Uh, maybe in a year. And if that happens, you're going to be hearing him talked about as a top 100 prospect, I think. Uh, behind the fastball, he has a bunch of secondaries. He has a slider and a cutter primarily. He will mix in a changeup, but that's very much a work in progress. And he also has a curveball they mainly use it to kind of as a to steal strikes for the most part, as most pitchers do with curveballs. But the slider, I think, has a chance to be a special pitch. Uh, it's usually sits right between 84 and 86 miles an hour, but it has nice two plane break uh, and has a lot of depth. So I think it's a pitch that is a borderline sweeper, but it's not quite there uh, because the sweeps about eight inches of horizontal sweep, but it's a very good pitch. Uh, he has solid command of the pitch for, for, for a slider. And I think the slider is a potential plus pitch. Uh, the cutter is a more of a newer development. He's been working it more and more into his arsenal um i it's it's classified as a cutter and it's it's called as a cutter uh i it kind of has it's sort of like taj bradley and that taj bradley throws a cutter but it's sort of like a slider and that's sort of what robleski's cutter is it's an upper 80s pitch 87 to 89 miles an hour it has a lot of depth for a cutter uh, and that's why i think it's like a borderline cutter slider uh, it's also a solid average pitch i think I think the changeup has decent separation. Basically, it's the change is strictly average. Decent separation for velocity and both movement from the fastball. And the curveball is, you know, again, probably another average pitch. So this is a pitcher with at least five, in my mind, potentially five average or better offerings. Uh, you're not going to see that in the lower minors at all. And I think he's going to move up to double A in short time. And I would expect him to thrive. I really think he's a big pop-up guy and uh, I you're going to hear more and more about him especially as he continues this heater yeah you got me really excited about for someone who I didn't know about until we just talked <laughs> about him now so he's the, one of the best things I love about this show is when I hear a new player and uh, I get to find out more what their stuff is like upside just uh, certain aspects about that player it's really cool when you start hearing the rest of the world start catching up because you guys are always on it first so then when you know, you, you hear on a podcast or you see Twitter, you know, going crazy over, uh, look at, a, you know, Justin uh, Robleski strike, strikes out 12 in a dominant outing and single leg gets promoted double. It's like, man, I remember when we, when uh, Jesse brought him up on the show. It's it's really cool. And I think it's, it's kind of highlights why we love doing this show. And 
now he's going to be somebody uh, that I'm going to be keeping an eye on. So again, that's Justin Robleski. Sounds like he's got immense potential here. Let's go to you next, Vinny, and let's talk about your next guy here in Bryce Hubbard of the Cincinnati Reds. A left-handed pitcher, and man, they could use some pitching with all the hitting prospects they have coming up. Right now, 21 years of age, eight innings over the last week with a 113 ERA, 11 strikeouts to go with that. And on the season, 32 innings pitched, a 3.38 ERA. Whoops, a tad high, 1.3 whip. Uh, but the strikeouts are nice, 10.97 per nine. The walks are troubling. So obviously, I know you're going to talk about those walks, but also tell us a little bit more about Bryce Hubbard. Yeah, Hubbard, you know, uh, going back to last year, he really blew up uh, back in 2021 during the Cape Cod League. Um, he was so good that he he was like a projected fifth later round pick. The Reds really liked what they saw from the Cape Cod League. They took him at 94 in the third round. But Hubbard is really interesting. He reminds me a lot of early Andrew Abbott. Like, he's not a velo monster. He sits, his fastball sits anywhere from like 90 to 92. You know, he has board, he has a four pitch mix, but you know, everything besides his, uh, his curveball is average. His curveball, I think has the ability to become a 60 grade type of pitch. But right now, just looking at how the reds are handling him, you can tell that they are working on him a lot at low A. You know, because you usually don't see college arms, you know, stay around low A for, you know, you know, till June, like right now. But he's getting, you know, he they had him on an innings, ooh, an innings limit early in the season. They're, you know, the leash is off of him now. And now he's really starting to excel. Like this 11 strikeout game really came out of nowhere. And that really shocked me because I've seen him. They've literally kept him to like four, maybe, you know, five innings tops early on in the season. Now they're letting him go. And now he's really starting to shine. The walks are a little concerning. You know, I, w I would give it to, he's, you know, very raw right now on the mound. He gets very shaken up whenever there's runners on base. Like that would be my big flaw with him, but easily like looking at his, you know, off speed pitches, like his changeup easily a serviceable pitch right now. He, it's fine. I could easily see the the Reds, you know, putting a lot of work in that. Maybe it jumps to a 55. Like his arsenal has some potential that once they start digging into it, he's, he might be another one of these uh, Reds pitchers that blow up either later this year or maybe going into next year. Man, that'd be exciting. An interesting pitch. You know, you noted the velocity. This year it's averaged 89.5 miles an hour, but uh, it has really, really plus plus uh, riding action. It's induced vertical breaks around 20 inches, which is uh, wild. His vertical approach angle is 4.4, uh, uh, which is fantastic as well. It's I think it's going to play way above its velocity. The issue he's, he's been having with walks is that he's just having trouble commanding a fastball and changeup in particular this year. Uh, his zone rate on both of them has been really poor, 28.6% uh, on both the fastball and changeup this year. But, you know, I do think that he is an interesting arm, an arm that's probably not rostered in most formats. So, you know, I, I think that he also has draft ped pedigree. You know, he was selected fairly high. Uh, players like this often go under the radar because the velocity readings don't like pop. Uh, but you're, I mean, he does have very interesting qualities. 
Very excited to uh, see what he can do for the Cincinnati Reds at some point. But yeah, very exciting young player, Bryce Hubbard. Mike, last pitcher on this list and last player for their players of the week. That's Drew Thorpe of the New York Yankees. Heard his name on this show a couple times. 22 years old, high A ball, 64.2 innings on the season with 79 strikeouts, a 2.64 ERA and 113 whip. The K rate 31.1% and walk rate 8.7%. Very respectable here. Also with a very nice 53% ground ball rate. Uh, so Drew Thorpe, a name that definitely is is not unfamiliar to most, um, but stuff still is definitely very, very good. Well, actually, it's funny you should mention that because I don't remember bringing him up on the show before. So, But you could be right. I uh, think someone else did at some point then because I'm usually... I'll definitely remember if I haven't seen a name, but <laughs> okay, <laughs> I do remember seeing his. This is one of the pitchers available in the most recent FYPDs that kind of slipped under my radar. The Yankees took him 61st overall in last year's draft, and Thorpe's a 6'4 righty out of Cal Poly. He was a consensus All-American his final year at college, and he was ranked second in Division One in strikeouts. So he's listed with an average fastball, above-average slider, plus change with double-plus command. So right off the bat, my eyes got wide when I saw that 70 grade command, but his changeup gets double plus grades from some scouts as well. So he gets a ton of swing and misses, the sliders in the low eighties and looks to be a nice pitch in its own right. The fastball sits in the lower nineties, but it has gotten as high as 95. His command and ability to mix it well with the rest of his arsenal is what makes it play up in game. So Thorpe was actually recruited as a two-way player in college. So he's got like athleticism and a nice repeatable delivery. He looks like the type of pitcher that should have no problem throwing strikes and could pile up a lot of innings, which has become more and more rare. Ultimately, Thorpe appears to me like an advanced college pitcher that would be seen in a much higher regard if he possessed the top end fastball, but his ability to sequence and locate allows him to get the most out of his stuff. And considering he's only listed at 190 pounds, he seems to have the frame to add good muscle. I have to imagine the Yankees are hoping to add velocity to his fastball. So there's been a lot of attention given to Chase Hampton breakout in the Yankee system that could be the guy we that you that we talked about on the show, but Thorpe is making some noise himself and shouldn't be overlooked. I, you know, I love a pitchers with elite command. It gives them so many ways to get hitters out. And, and it's the foundation I'd like to see a pitcher have before trying to increase their velo. And he has a frame, like I said, for a pitcher that I could expect to do that. So there's a little hesitation with Yankees pitching prospects with the recent track record of misses and injuries, but I think he's worth stashing in deeper dynasty leagues at the stage see how the arsenal plays in the upper levels. Like you can always move on if it doesn't look promising. All right. That's Drew Thorpe of the New York Yankees. Let's get to the notable promotion slide. Cause there are a lot of players that were promoted since our last show, some big name players that got promoted. Actually two players on this list were going to be mentioned by Jesse on the show before they got called up here. Gavin Williams of the Cleveland guardians, Emmett Sheehan of the Los Angeles Dodgers, Luis Matos of the San Francisco giants, Henry Davis of the Pittsburgh Pirates and Bo Naylor of the Cleveland Guardians. Henry Davis, the former first overall pick just a couple of years ago, starting a lot in right field for the Pirates. Sheehan looked electric in his debut, six no-hit innings. And Gavin Williams, even though it didn't look great yesterday, he is one of the best prospects in baseball. I love Gavin Williams. Jesse, I'm going to give you the floor if there's a couple of these guys you wanted to talk about and just uh, tell our audience a little bit what their kind of upside could be here. Yeah, uh, I'll start with Gavin Williams because, you know, we saw his debut uh, yesterday. We're recording on Thursday uh, on June 22nd. So his debut was not great. Uh, I will note that 
his velocity was down across the board in his debut. Uh, he His average fastball velocity in his debut was 95.5 miles an hour. In AAA, it was nine, basically 97 miles an hour, 96.9 miles an hour. Uh, you know, generally, this is a guy who can sit in the upper 90s. He can, early in games, he can be just pounding 98, 99, hitting triple digits with great uh, movement. You know, there's a lot of carry, not like elite carry, but it's very good carry. Uh, he's not one of those like big velocity fastballs like Bobby Miller, who has poor shape. He has solid shape on his fastball. I think it's a very clear plus plus pitch. My biggest concern with Kevin Williams, this is even just since the draft, you know, has always been the secondaries. Uh, I don't think there's a plus secondary. I don't think any of them are plus. I think I've seen people grade his slider as plus, but it's not, a, I don't think it's a, objectively a plus pitch. I know the stuff plus grades on it are not plus. Uh, they're basically squarely average. His slider, it it sits around 90, 85 miles an hour, which is very average for a slider. It has average depth for a slider. Uh, it doesn't really kind of jump off the page in my mind. Uh, it's not a bad pitch, but, and I think it has, and it does flash, I think, above average potential but i don't think it's plus and the curveball he has really been and the issue with kevin williams i guess in the minors has been he has had trouble locating the curve and change up uh which is not uncommon he he struggles locating them within the zone and i neither pitch in my mind is truly like a standout offering his curveball has huge depth a uh, huge depth uh negative uh, 17.4 inches of induced vertical break, which is just a huge amount. Uh, and it's an upper 70s pitch, so it's not like it's a you know a floating curveball. So it has solid potential. It just doesn't locate it very well. It's mostly used to induce chases. Uh, and then the changeup, it's it's sort of firm. It's about seven mile an hour velocity difference, seven to eight miles an hour from its fastball. It has basically squarely average induced vertical or movement differential from his fastball as well. So, I mean, I think the changeup has average potential. Generally, all those breaking balls, all those secondaries, I think kind of float around average, which for me, Gavin Williams kind of reminds me of a young Logan Gilbert in a lot of ways, in that it's a very fastball forward uh, repertoire. And we really want to see those secondaries take a step forward for him to kind of like take off. And I think, I really think he's a fantastic prospect, but I don't think he's quite like on the level of like the Yuri Perez's out there or anybody like that. Yeah, I agree with that, especially with how Yuri Perez has been pitching right now. Of course, yeah. He's looking in insane, but definitely excited to see him with the guardians who have had a knack for having good pitchers over recent years. And you would think maybe if they trade Shane Bieber, you know, obviously Tristan McKenzie's on the IL currently. Um, some players haven't performed as well. Obviously, Cal Quantrill was in the rotation to start the year. Now he isn't. So Gavin Williams, if he can just have somewhat of a, a semblance of putting some decent starts together, he could stick around and be a contributor down the stretch here. Yeah, and Emma Sheehan's a really interesting arm. He had a you know, six inning, no hit, no hit six innings, which I think probably turned a lot of heads and his stuff was way down his first start, just like Kevin Williams. He had a massive difference in fastball movement. Uh, usually. So people call him a unicorn fastball because he has huge velocity around 96 miles an hour, but it also has huge rising action and it has really low vertical approach angle. So it's just not many pitchers kind of have a fastball like that. When in his debut, his induced vertical break was like four inches deep 
off of what it was in the minors, which is like a crazy, crazy difference. We'll have to see what happens in his next start and see how the stuff looks. Uh, maybe it was some kind of like double A fluke. He wasn't in the Southern League, so he didn't have the pre-tacked ball. So I think a lot of people are scratching their heads about why that happened. Obviously, it didn't matter because he's through six no-hit innings. Uh, but he's MHC has a very interesting arm in terms of that fastball changeup. Change was very good. Uh, you know, I think it's a plus-plus fastball, plus changeup. Slider is at least average in my mind. So I think he's an underrated arm. Obviously, at this point, his there's a lot of hype around Emmett Sheehan. I think he's probably a top 50 dynasty prospect right now. I love to hear that because he's was the him and Mason Miller were the two big pitchers that I spent on in fab. Mm -hmm. uh, Mason Miller hasn't worked out, obviously, but Emmett uh, Sheehan was kind of my last. Like, this is the last player I'm going all in on. And uh, yeah, I, I just seeing his numbers in double A and from what we've talked about him on the show prior as well, I definitely got really excited uh, for when he did get the call. So his next start is tomorrow. So as of recording on Thursday, like you mentioned, so definitely be tuning in for that. Let's uh, take a look at our prospect watch players that are producing or doing something down in the low minors that maybe you haven't heard of that you can get on early here. And Jesse, back to you, Jared Serna of the New York Yankees, a second baseman, 21 years of age in a ball on the season in 269 plate appearances. He's got a 309, 372, 527 line, 13 home runs and 16 steals, 16.7% K rate and a 218 ISO. Uh, Jared Serna of the New York Yankees. What should we know about him? And uh, yeah, I, again, first time I've seen his name. So I'm curious to hear why you like him. Yeah, well, you know, the Yankees just have a great development team and they can just identify talented players that kind of fall under the radar. And Cern is not going to be a player that necessarily pops for a lot of people. And I think he's slowly starting to gain, I guess, attention from larger outlets uh, because he's not very big. He's only, list he's only listed at five foot six, 168 pounds. He's already playing primarily second base. Uh, he's played 252 innings at second, 189.2 at short this year in, in low A. So it's very much likely a second base only prospect without much size. Uh, but... Uh, and, you know, obviously, given his size, he doesn't necessarily have a ton of power either. You know, his max exit velocity this year in low A is 106.7 miles an hour, which is fine. Uh, and I think that that power, because of his size, people are going to think that he doesn't have much power in general. But he has some pop. Uh, his average exit velocity, basically all of his bad ball metrics are healthfully above average for his level, especially if he's given his age, 20 years old in a ball. His average exit velocity is 88 miles an hour. His hard hit rate is over 40%. Uh, his barrel rate is almost 9%, which is quite good for low A. And his average is 90th percentile exit velocity, which I think is probably one of the better measures of power is 103.5 miles an hour, which is just shy of major league average. Uh, so I, he's not punchless. I think that, that he could get to or already even is at borderline power. I think he's he can get there. I think he'd be a player who can get to 15 home runs at the major league level in time. And there's some speed here. It's not like he's not Tyler Black speed. I think it's more clo it's closer to average, but he's a good base runner. I could see 
uh, being like a 15 stolen base guy at the major league level. A lot of what you said, you mentioned Colton Wong earlier. I mean, he could be like Colton Wong in my mind. <laughs> I think that's what we could have here with uh, Jared Cerna. So if you're in a deeper league, uh, I think if you're rostering over 200 prospects, he should be on your radar. I have him within my top 250. Uh, and I think he really needs to be rostered in all leagues that roster up to 300 uh, because there is a lot to like here. And the thing I haven't even mentioned that's probably the best part of his profile is his hit tool because he has great bats of ball ability. His contact rate's over 80%. Uh, he has an improving uh, play, improving play discipline, improving uh, command of the strike zone. Uh, you know, you mentioned his strikeout rate, his walk rate. It's vastly improved over his brief de- brief debut in low A last year, where it was a disaster. So this is a profile that's really on the rise. And I think that he could be like a, a 55 hit, 45 power that he gets to in games and can give you double digit stolen bases. And that'll play in a lot of formats. I'm excited to see Jared Cerna as he continues his path to the big leagues and nothing wrong with a Colton Wong type player. That definitely is very serviceable. Let's talk about Ruben Santana of the Arizona Diamondbacks, third baseman right now in the ACL, 18 years of age, very young, only 51 plate appearances. So the stats definitely are not something we need to emphasize here too much, but for those that are listening, just so you can hear him, 333 average, he's got a 25.5% K rate. 9.8% 9.8% walk rate. Obviously, again, very small sample size here. But Vinny, he likes to dig, dig, dig deep down. And he got one here with Ruben Santana. Yeah, Santana came out in the you know 2022 J15 class. Uh, he was the third most money paid to by the Diamondbacks. And right off the bat, like I've been seeing some video trick out, trickle out of the ACL early right now. This watching this kid barrel up baseballs is crazy. Like it took me a while to like come up with a comp and I hate comps. I really hate doing them, but like watching his swing and his follow through gives me like eerie vibes of a Adrian Beltre. Hmm. He is kind of, he's, you know, he's six foot one ninety. I would say he's probably about six one maybe pushing six two. He is a little bigger than he is listed, but we're talking about a kid here that could potentially be a big power speed guy. My only question is as he develops, he's still very raw in his, in his, with his body. Like maybe he doesn't become a very good speed threat as he keeps on progressing with his body. But the leading, the leading tool with him right now is going to be the bat and it's going to be power. We're just going to have to sit and watch and see if the contact develops with the power. But yeah, like third baseman, very good arm. I would say a plus arm. Like uh, I would give it a 60, 55, 60, that kind of range. But we've seen the Diamondbacks over the you know past couple of years really do a good job in developing these young infielders. Like if we go back a couple of years ago, uh, De La Santos was a was a very good one. Before that, look at Gerardo Perdomo, Lavero Piguero. Like they have a solid track record of you know getting these guys to work out. And the tools with him, I think there is some massive upside with him. I doubt he's rostered in Dynasty. If you're in a big, you know, a big minor league system dynasty format, I would swoop him up very soon. Cause he's one of these guys that I think if you know. 
once the season starts winding down and people start going to look into all the Arizona complex, like uh, complex league stats, I think Ruben Santana is going to be up there in the top probably 10, 15 names, and he's going to become a hot commodity with speculation in the off season. All right. Ruben Santana, keep an eye on him. Then he says, uh, potential is huge. Could be an Adrian Beltre. So that's a, somebody to keep an eye on there. Welbin Francisca is going to be the last player on this list here for our prospect watch shortstop for the Cleveland guardians, only 17 years of age in the DC or DSL 52 plate appearances in the 419 average here, two homers and three steals. Mike, again, we're digging deep here. I love it with Webin Francisca. So what, tell us a little bit about, you know, what he's like as a player. Tell us a little bit about his tools. Tell us a little bit about what the organization thinks of him. I think you are on mute or you are not on mute. Did we lose Mike? He's talking for the, <laughs> now he's on mute. Hey, can you guys hear me now? Yeah, we're good now. Yeah. We're good. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, okay. So I debated about whether or not to bring up Francisco this week, you know, cause of the things he said, it has nothing to do with him as a player. He's definitely one of my favorite players in the DSL. It's just, it can just be tough to evaluate players based on their stats in that league. And, it's the furthest away from the majors. So a lot of people aren't even interested in hearing about the players that young, but every so often a prospect emerged like, you know, Jackson Terrio a while ago, shoot up from obscurity to a top prospect, junior Caminero being a more recent example. And we can all acknowledge the, the massive risk involved in 17 year olds while also acknowledging the need to be early on specific players. So this is one of those guys for me. I know Vinny mentioned him on our J 15 episode as well. And I've just always been drawn to him since he came on my radar. So I'll, I'll start by saying, He's too young to even have scouting grades on fan graphs. So the only place I could find them were MLB.com in the international section, which I don't really trust. I mean, they have them listed as an above average hit tool, average power, average speed. And like I said, I hesitate to even say those because I don't think they're accurate. I've seen countless examples of players this young having their scouting grades adjusted once we see more professional data. He's not the biggest guy. He listed at 5'8", 150, but that also changes quite frequently with these players so young. But I genuinely believe he has a chance to grow into something special just based on what I'm seeing early. Uh, I think he's going to end up possibly with a plus hit tool, above average power and plus speed. And clearly that would be a huge, like a high-end prospect that would be ranked high on lists, particularly if the stats matched that. I also happened to listen today to the Baseball America podcast with Jeff Ponis and uh, Dylan White. And Jeff was talking about Francisco the same way I feel about him. Like he mentioned using the same data he used to find Caminero to lock in on Francisca. And I've seen our buddy, Chris Clegg, throwing a lot of gasoline on the fire. So at, at the very least, we have the makings of a big riser. And as Chris mentioned on our last episode, we did, you know, sometimes perception of a player has more value than the actual talent. And Francisca just feels like one of those players you need to jump on early and ask questions later. A lot of the hard, a lot of time, the hardest part about rostering these DSL complex players is getting other managers to value them. Like half the battle is getting people to pay attention to them. And, if they start excelling while they have eyes on them, that's when the skyrocket up lists happen. So I don't want to get ahead of myself on the player this young because there's so many hurdles left to clear. But if I were going to put my money on someone in the DSL making that huge leap, Francisco would be right there at the top of the list for me. And I, I think I think he should be rostered in all deep competitive leagues. And if, if you play with good managers, they're going to discover him sooner than later. He's probably already been added in a lot of the deepest leagues, but you can always back out, like I said, with other players if it's not going well. But you only have that brief window to add players like this for free. So it's a lotto ticket that doesn't cost anything, but the payout could be massive if it hits. 
Well, Ben Francisco. Yeah, go ahead, Jesse. Uh, I was just going to say that uh, he is, I agree that he's one of the few players in the DSL that I would consider rostering in a lot of formats. Now, I will just briefly touch on the fact that I really do not like rostering DSL players, period, because there's just, they're playing garbage competition. Uh, You know, a lot of these players who have hype become nothing, most of them. Most of them, the vast majority. And there's a lot of opportunity costs with rostering DSL players, especially outside after a first year player draft. If you're holding them and then all of a sudden this is the first like performances you're getting to see from them, first data you're getting from them is in June. Uh, that's a lot long wait. Obviously, if you're picking them up now, that's that's a different story. But still, I think that there is a huge opportunity cost in shallower formats where you know you could be burning and churning through prospects, but then you have to wait for this these prospects who are 17 years old to start accumulating value. I mean, someone like Jackson Chirio really didn't become relevant for shallower leagues until the spring, the right before he was promoted to low A. I mean, there wasn't even hype until that spring, even while he was in a DSL, there was no hype, no hype for Chirio anywhere. Um, there was a lot of hype coming out of the complex of the, of instructs in the spring and even in the fall. So that's when the hype started building with Chirio. Same thing with, with, Camonero, there was no hype when he was in DSL either. It was when he was at the complex level. That's when the hype started. So that's where I like to try and target these players. But I think for, I like targeting them, I mean, in the, at the complex level. So players like, um, there's a few of them right now, you know, like Luis Baez with the Astros, with like uh, John Cruz with the Yankees, who I almost wanted to talk about today. Uh, Emmanuel Tejada with the Yankees, also a very interesting player at the complex level. But, and I was going to say, but, I think Francisco is a player that I would be, you know, why not? He's killing it in a DSL. There is very positive reports out there. What you mentioned with Jeff, uh, what he said about Welbin. I mean, I think that there's the scouting is lining up with production and performance. Uh, Cleveland's done a great job of developing these types of middle infielders. I think he is a player that I would try and maybe in leagues up to 200 prospects. I think he's worth a stab. If you're in shallower leagues, I probably would stay away still because the timeline is just so far away. Uh, but I think that, you know, and you mentioned Fangraphs didn't have grades, but they did have grades. Uh, they have grades for some international players. They have, they, Eric Lagane gave him a, a future seven for his hit tool. That's crazy. I mean, it was easily the highest grade, grade hit tool of anybody in this class, future grade. Um, you know, when we're talking about hit tools for these young players, it's kind of like, speculation and more so than normal uh but he's definitely he definitely can hit and he's a player that i would probably add in a lot of different formats you guys heard him in the deep dynasty leagues walbin francisca needs to be an ad if he's out there in your league in those deep dynasty formats all right last section who's next players that are on the verge of the call this is calling our shot to who we think you'll see next week in the major leagues jesse Two players you had here got called up, so you went to your third <laughs> option here. And Connor Phillips of the Cincinnati Reds, 64 innings, a 323 ERA, 39.2% K rate. Uh, somebody that can come and help the Cincinnati Reds immediately. Yeah, you know, I I thought that he was a dark horse option. Um, and I think there's a lot of things lining up for him to jump from double A to the major leagues. First, I mean, just look at that Reds rotation. Um, we have Nick Lodolo has hit the 60, he's been on a 60 day IL. We just have Hunter Green landing on the 15 day IL. After Andrew Abbott, 
that rotation is a dumpster fire in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And Cincinnati is sitting atop the division in the NL Central, mm -hmm. to much of everyone's surprise. I mean, they're probably the most exciting team in baseball right now, just about. But like Luke Weaver, Brandon Williamson, and Ben Lively are not good pitchers. They're just not. Um, and they're they're their two, three, four starters right now. They don't even have a player locked into the fifth, and it's likely going to be Graham Ashcraft when he comes back from the IL, and he's probably starting uh, this, I guess, Saturday. He's likely starting on Saturday. Uh, and Graham Ashcraft probably shouldn't be a starter right now either. I mean, because he's been a disaster lately, and he, his command's falling apart, and he's basically a two-pitch guy without command. That's That can't be in the rotation. So they don't have – they need a they need a fresh arm that has electric stuff in the rotation, and that's Connor Phillips. I mean, he has some of the best stuff in all the minor leagues. The stuff has really never been in question with Connor Phillips. The fastball, I think, is almost unanimously graded as a seven, and the slider is almost unanimously graded as a six. I mean, those two pitches, I think, rival you know, Graham Ashcraft for some of the best two pitches in the entire organization. And obviously, there's Hunter Green, but he's uh, on another level. Uh, but you know, the stuff's very good. What's really happened that matters for Connor Phillips is the command has taken a huge step forward this year uh, over his last. And while I will say walk rate's not necessarily the best indicator of command, but I think it's so it does show some evidence of command, but his walk rate over his last four starts is 3.2%. His strikeout rate, 40.4%. Uh, strikeout K minus walk is 37.2% over his last four starts. And if you go even further back, it's still crazy. Last six starts, 37.3% strikeout minus walk rate. Uh, if the command's there for Colin Phillips, he's one of the top pitching prospects in the game, in my mind, because the fastball slider is so good and he can mix in a curveball and change that are adequate enough. I mean, we've seen pitchers like this thrive at the major league level like Taj Bradley but and like uh Bryce Miller they have very they have very good command so if if Phillips can get to their command I mean I think that he could be in the conversation as those types of pitchers and I think he's coming soon uh he's on, he has to be added to the 40-man roster this December so Cincinnati totally could add him without like thinking they've lost developmental time for him I think that he could definitely be added and be up in the major leagues even next week. Uh, I mean, Cincinnati's desperate. There's no one else. He makes so much sense. Do it, Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> you heard the man coming soon to a res rotation near you. Connor Phillips <laughs> will be there. That, so Connor Phillips, definitely somebody that you could be looking at in redraft leagues. Obviously in Dynasty, he's going to be rostered. But redraft, especially one of the things that's cool about this section is if it's not next week, then you can potentially put bids on not on NFBC formats, but you can put bids on these players a week early and get them before the mad rush of people come and get them. So Connor Phillips might be one of those players that you could potentially get a, a lower bid on and then reap the benefits uh, if it's delayed another week. So and it's worth noting that the Reds have done this sort of thing with other pitch, other star pitchers like Nick mm -hmm. Lodolo. He only got a handful of starts in AAA before they moved him up to the major leagues. And they're mainly just starts to kind of get his feet under him because due to injuries. So mm -hmm. I could totally see them skipping him past AAA right to the majors. All right. We're going to hope Connor Phillips. We'll see you soon at the big leagues. It's the hope here. Let's go to Vinny's player getting the call this week. And uh, Oh man, it's going to be a good name to try to say here. <laughs> oh, Slevis Basabi. Maybe hopefully that's not too far off. Third baseman up for the Tampa Bay Rays right now in AAA. 
287 average, 408 OBP, and 471 slug in 246 plate appearances. He's got four homers and eight steals. Tampa Bay Rays have a ton of just players that they can just put everywhere, mix and match different lineups here. Um, so without saying his name again and potentially butchering it here, Vinny, why don't you say his name the correct way it's supposed to be said and tell our listeners about him? Osivas Basabe. You know, the name probably rings a bell because he was one of the best, you know, one of the best hitters in spring training this year. Like he took off, he went to a next level for the, for the race. And I remember everyone started losing their mind. Everyone started, you know, chirping that, Oh, maybe he might break camp, you know? Oh, maybe he might be the starting second baseman. Did not happen. They optioned him to triple a, but let me tell you him sitting in triple a this year, absolute hit machine. Like he, the power is not gonna ever show up with Basabe. Sadly, I think it's time to, put that to bed but if there's one thing you can count on you can count on him to make consistent contact and to get on base you know 60 hit tool you know he's not he hasn't been stealing this year like we've seen in previous years which is kind of concerning you know he's right now at eight stolen bases this year last year he had 21 you know double digits the year before that but if we're talking about you know the decision between uh, Taylor Wells, Taylor Walls, or Osevis Basabe, I think we give Basabe a shot. We just saw uh, uh, Lau is on the 10 day DL. Uh, Wander Franco got benched today because he can't handle uh, his temper, which is kind of weird. You usually never see that mm-hmm. kind of leak out of the clubhouse. So, a little speculation to add into this like, this could open a door for Basabe to play, you know, he, you know, uh, third maybe second maybe shortstop like he can play all those like he's a very versatile swiss army knife type of a bat that is perfect for coming off of a bench i'm not gonna i'm not saying he's like this but he could potentially be a ben zobris type you know type of player like a plug Mm -hmm. and play big league contributor going forward like if i were to bet on you know manzardo you know or Curtis Mead or them coming up before, you know, Basabe, I would vote Basabe because he's been consistent all year. You know, he's on the 40 man. So I, I think we might see him. We might not see him this week, but I think we see him in the future at some time because the numbers he's been consistently putting up through the liners, you have to give him a shot at some point. Yep. Slevis Basabe. Yeah, Keep I saw a lot of him in 2021 when he was in, in low a um, and a lot of his profiles base, basically very similar. He's sort of a slap hitter uh, and that's why he's not hitting for much power. It's just his approach. He hits everything on the ground or on a line, but he does have some power. There is a little bit of juice there. So, I mean, maybe they could unlock it and he can get the double digit home runs um, in time. I do. I don't really think there's a ton of speed. I think it's basically average runner. Um, that was, he was average in 2021. I can't imagine it's gotten much better uh, since then. Uh, but the hit tool, I agree. It, it's very interesting uh, little mix there, and he can play every single position. The only th- issue I'd have with it, with Walls being, I guess, I don't really think he's necessarily going to challenge Walls because Walls plays such good defense. And that's mm-hmm. that's why Walls is on the roster. That's why Walls is, it, Walls is in, the, in the lineup. It's because he's a switch hitter that plays defense. But uh, I think Basabe is a good call out because not many people even think about him in that loaded organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's an interesting player who's legit on the cusp. 
All right, then that'll take us to our last player of the night, Ivan Herrera of the St. Louis Cardinals. Catcher, definitely note the catcher part because Wilson Contreras obviously was taken off that position earlier this season. I believe he was hitting under 200 over a stretch over the last couple of weeks here. He's had his struggles here with the Cardinals. Um, so Herrera is someone that's definitely intriguing. 214 plate appearances, 291 average, seven homers and six steals from the catcher position, an under 20% walk rate with a nearly 18%, I'm sorry, nearly 20% strikeout rate and nearly 18% walk rate. Mike, this is a player that seems like he has a path to really get some playing time with the Cardinals if they choose to call him up and, and help that lineup out a little bit. Yeah, so I should start by saying this should be Christian and Canastian Strand or Colton Kowser. Those are the two most deserving players of the call. Yeah. We've yes. covered them before. Yeah. I'm not yes. quite sure why they're not up yet, but uh, after this most recent crop of call-ups, it's becoming more and more difficult to identify the next one. So I decided to go with a player we haven't discussed this season that's getting done in AAA. You know, outside of Canzone, who Jesse mentioned earlier, there's there's no player in AAA with a higher OPS than Herrera over the last 30 days. He's got over 1.110. So that's really good, especially for a catcher. Uh, he feels like he's been around forever. I remember ranking him relatively high, particularly for like a young catching prospect back in 2020. And He's always been young for his levels coming up, and it felt like things would eventually click once he was matched up with his age group, basically. And we're starting to see signs of that. Like he he's listed with an above average hit tool, average power, and below average speed. Not a ton to get excited about on the surface in that regard, but if the hit tool improves a bit or he develops more power than anticipated or continues showing an ability to chip in a few steals, he could be a solid catcher in the big leagues. I don't necessarily think this is someone who becomes a high-end, like cream of the crop type catcher, but I certainly think he would be like viable in those two catcher mixed leagues on NFBC once he's a player, once he's a regular. The reason I'm not super confident that a promotion is coming is pending is because the Cardinals do have Wilson Contreras behind the plate. I mean, I know they don't love his defense, but I mean, he's been relatively down this year, but he doesn't, he doesn't get a lot of love for his defense, but I doubt they intend on taking his bat out of the lineup, especially since they just signed him. So I think, I think it would involve an injury to open up the starting job for Herrera or maybe a late season call up for as the backup. I'm not, I'm not sure they want to call him up and play him once or twice a week at this stage, but his success over the last month should have him on the radar for the organization. I think he's going to be an above average catcher for fantasy down the line, which means he's going to be a starter for some team in your league. So you could do a lot worse if you want a cheap option and haven't been able to lock down one of the big talents at the position. I mean, he's got a K rate below 20% with a higher WRC plus in, in AAA than players like Jordan Westberg, Ronnie Mauricio, Kyle Manzardo, Vaughn Grissom. So he has my attention. All right. Ivan Herrera of the St. Louis Cardinals to wrap up up here. Uh, Jesse, I'm going to give you a chance to plug all your great work and where the audience can find you on Twitter. But I just want to say thank you so much for joining the show tonight. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Love talking about all these prospects. I always will talk about them. <laughs> I've been meaning to come on this show. It's uh, but it's been a, just a wild, uh, few months but yeah i'm over at baseball perspectives uh, you can follow me on twitter at j-a-r-o-c-h-e-6 uh, i do daily stuff on prospects and i'm maybe not as active as i should be but uh, i'll try and put more stuff out but at baseball perspectives i put out an article every single week i'm starting draft coverage for at least internally i'm starting it i will probably be putting out content on the draft soon i probably starting with the podcast i probably will do a podcast on on the draft from a fantasy perspective uh 
very soon. It's a very fun draft class. I mean, we see we're seeing the College World Series right now. It's zero zero in the eighth inning, guys. It's crazy. Um, Paul Skeens has thrown 120 pitches so far through eight shutout innings. Uh, just craziness. Uh, but it's a fun class, and right now it's a fun time of year to be a baseball fan. Heck yeah, man! And make sure you guys again, if you want to talk prospects, you want to see great prospect information tons of great stuff put out there make sure you are following jesse on twitter and make sure you follow these guys too too mike and Vinny. Uh, you can see their handles at on the screen very much uh so much so many great prospect minds here and uh again jesse really appreciate your contributions here tonight to help our listeners get a little bit smarter with all these great prospects so for jesse for Vinny, for mike i'm david we'll catch you guys next week on the call